Way. <laughs> nice. We're definitely not re-recording this after I screwed up my uh, setup. Anyway. Hello, welcome to Stanontology's K-pop roundup of the year, 2020. Hell yeah. Um, we've been listening to K-pop and a lot of it, and we want to share what we liked and found interesting with all of you. Yeah. I am uh, Claudia. Find me on Twitter at Claudia, W-Y-L-O. My pronouns are she, her. And I am Riggs or Michael, uh, pronouns they, them. You can find me on Twitter at Regression with three S's. So, uh, I guess important caveat, we originally wanted to do uh, sort of tracks of the year 2020. And while this, what we ended up kind of picking out obviously has a lot of our favorite songs of the year on it. It's not just that. Like, we wanted to talk about things that were uh, representative, I guess, of a wider trend, or at least were interesting. Because it was always weird to have picks on there that we put there because they weren't insert other big popular track here yeah and it feels weird to talk about it without mentioning that they're there in place of something else yeah the stuff that reflects moments or ideas or like tensions that we that were playing out in the industry in our listening to it and that like we wanted to like put on stage and talk through the whole thing rather than just like narrowly focus on the individual tracks but still it means that what has come out the end is the stuff we really love is a bunch of stuff we really like in the full context of how we discovered it and talk about it and think about it. Yeah. And the other thing we ended up doing is we paired off a lot of these tracks that sometimes it's easier to talk about these things when there's something else to bounce off of. I dare you to make your dialectic joke again. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm too too theory-addled. I I shall (laughs) refrain. (laughs) Ah, beautiful. So... We were going to start off this this whole recap. Yeah, with something safe and comfortable, something that we know intimately well, which is Temin. Oh boy. Uh, so <laughs> Temin, we have said at the very start of this project, Temin is the artist that really did bring us both into K-pop back when he started his solo career, back when he was like in the sort of like halcyon period of Shiny's like brilliance and that sort of 2000 and I don't know, 13 to 16 20... periods. Yeah, like 2015-ish, I think, is when he started coming out with his uh, solo stuff. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. that this is, this is the sort of moment and era of Temin that we, we latched onto and fell in love with, and that opened up the entire world of K-pop for us. There's a reason why uh, all of our like, demonstrative picks are from 2016. <laughs> um, but yeah, so very, very obviously he came up with two main singles and a two-part album over the course of this year and we want to put up against each other criminal and idea yeah um so yeah like you had the like an incredibly intense reliance almost on part one of this album. i had a i had a hell september well and a hell august um and more to the point like the yeah of course like covid really affected the summer release schedule a lot of things got pushed back a lot of things got shuffled around but even the hotly anticipated songs that did manage to come out in september uh in summer a lot of them failed to capture my 
attention and interest for very long. Uh, and so it had been a couple of months of me being like, hmm, with regards to K-pop. Exactly that sound. And then <laughs> Never Gonna Dance Again. Well, Two Kids dropped first, and I was like, okay, that this is interesting. And then the full album dropped, and I listened to it on repeat so long that it rocketed up to the top of my most played this year and is comfortably and firmly there and will not be dislodged. Yeah. I mean, September for you was hell wildfire slash lockdown month right yeah and this yeah, is the album that got me through it <laughs> yeah i'm very glad you had it to 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 help you push through i don't have the horror story that, that you do with it but frankly like a 10 minute album was always going to be one of the most interesting things coming out over the course of the year we got two they were yeah. both really excellent i'm pretty sure they're both my fate like as a combined project it's the favorite my favorite work of his that he's put out over his entire career easily which is really impressive to say um for someone with a career as long as his yeah with some a career as long and successful and compelling as his at least to my ears especially because i've like been a fan of his for so long mm. um but yeah so that gets us on to what a criminal and idea both trying to do and which one do we fall on as the one that we would put on the pedestal oh man so let's start with idea, I think. This is the one that, like, I would have said blew up slightly more. Like, that's the one that got the attention, got the YouTube views, got the, like, extra bit of, like, TikTok challenge cred. Mm. Um, it's a it's a really interesting track because it's, like, it's a, a strange, very distinctly K-pop track that tries to marry super heavy, hard-hitting uh, hip-hop beats with this, like, really, like severe orchestration and lushness that is meant to sort of communicate the like vast space and capacity of ideas that only Temen can produce. I remember all the taglines being about the sort of like maximally intense experience and mm-hmm. was absolutely trying to aim for that in the uh, in the songwriting and the performance. It also gave us crop top sweaters, so I'm not complaining about that one. No, not at all. That's always good to see. <laughs> If that was a micro trend this year, I'm mean, all for it. Um, shout out to TXT's Blue Hour, which also had s- some really excellent, b- b- like the, the the shout out to a wardrobe stylist who had the guts to crop top a Balenciaga sweater. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, w- w- I really like Idea, but I don't love it as much as Criminal, and I think you're the right. same as me, right? Yeah, and it's purely down to the performance that accompanies it which is funny because this is a audio only format <laughs> uh, but i think it, it does speak to i think for both of us how much of k-pop is not just about the song or just the experience of listening to the song it is about this whole world of you know the, the videos the stage performances the teasers the 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 concepts everything and 
for me, criminal is just a little bit better. And I think we, we talked about this when we were watching their dance practice videos uh, when both of them had dropped. And Idea feels like it's very much performed to an audience. Like he's always facing forward. There's a very limited amount of the stage that Timon uses. He's always accompanied by somebody else, which is interesting because it's a marked departure from his other title track choreos, uh, like Move, Like Want, Like Criminal. Um, Criminal, he's. It feels like a, a lot more that it's a, it's a, it's a choreography, f- for and about himself, like to yeah, himself. Absolutely. Um, well, I was going to say it's the quality that I keep finding myself drawn to, especially in the context of him being a star in a group that is notoriously controlling, in an industry that is notoriously lowest common denominator, and has done so for de- for over a decade. Right. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think specifically on that sort of like dancing for yourself, there is a, there's a moment, I think the second chorus in one, going back to one that, um, Mm -hmm. he's like got this sort of strut that he does at the start of the chorus that it just sticks in my mind as being something that like, it's meant to be visually impressive, but it's clearly done like oblique to the direction that he thinks the audience going to view him from. It's meant to be like, it, the, the the sort of sense of communication isn't done by like eye contact and the sort of almost like demand or plead. It's done with a sort of like impassive, uh, impassive relationship where he just sort of expects attention, mm-hmm. um, and it is magnetically drawn to him because he's just such a compelling person to watch move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think criminal has even well, it has that in spades basically that he basically doesn't need to pay attention to the audience. He doesn't need to ask for their attention. He simply demands it and draws it just by the compelling nature of the movement. Well, he, um, he commands it. Like, that's very yeah. much the verb I would use there. And then the, the, the whole point being that criminals attract the plays very explicitly with these ideas of, like, command and control, both mm-hmm. between him and the dancers, between him lyrically, and the sort of figurative stuff that he's doing with the props in the, mm-hmm. the opening. And... Um, in that way, like, it just sells itself much more cohesively as a track that, like, might not have the, the same, like, extremity as idea, but is much more, like, cohesive and directed and purposeful about the way it uses movement in concert with the track idea, in concert with the production and the songwriting. If you will forgive my word choice, it's all about the restraint. <laughs> but yes, it absolutely is. Like, it's measured and careful and precise in a way that idea maybe isn't idea feels like we just got to go all out mm-hmm. and sometimes that's really fun to see but it works on a different platform and might not suit an artist like Temin who like revels in detail and specificity and direction and like and, and like a lot of a lot of what makes him a joy to watch is his body control um yeah exactly and that comes across it, i think better in criminal like for yeah me. it works so much better when he's not being asked to throw away that control mm. Um, and yeah, there are so many more moves in, in Criminal that emphasize the like 
super precise control he, ha- he has over his body. Yeah. So yeah, with that God. slot one, Temin's Such a good criminal. Song. So they're, they're both good. They're both worth your attention, but uh, uh-huh. yeah, criminal criminal is the one that made me exclaim in this household we're by for Tamen. So <laughs> uh, that's I my mean, seal of approval. Hey, I mean, I I already was. We knew this. This was fine. We yeah, can move on. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, slot two. Next then. up. So we've got two tracks here that are borrowing very heavily from house music, and like house music related forms of dance music which are red velvet and uh, red velvet irene sugi's naughty and chunga's stay tonight oh boy which uh you were the one who showed me stay tonight and it was in the context of i had just finished well you wanted to get my live reaction to naughty and it's I don't really have more to say to that, except that, like, that was the order in which I encountered it, and I think that was a superior order. <laughs> yeah. So, so, like, the... Noi was a fascinating choreo to come out. It was the B-side single to Iron Suki's Monster, which I think is a cool track, but not particularly like extraordinary one. Uh, very baroque, very uh, guilt. Does that make sense? It's like so detailed, but so weighed down by all of it. Yeah, that it's very de- the very over dense, very, maybe. Yeah, 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 saturated. But yeah, yeah saturated. like fun, fun, cool track. I'm glad it exists, but it's not going to be my favorite Red Velvet project or whatever. Wherever it might be. Yeah. Whereas Naughty was this really stunning turnaround that was just like pretty much out of nowhere. Like I wasn't expecting a second single, but super it's precise. Its music video also has a weird intro and outro, but sorry. Yeah. Continue. Well, no one knows why that needs to exist, but it does. Mm-hmm. It's very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the rest of it is super severe, black and white, super precise choreography with just tutting, just straight up, super precise hand movement, like straight out of like seen like american dance like dance culture mm-hmm. um it's a ridiculously impressive dance like i don't think i've seen very many that are so technically like astounding to see both in the control and precision but also the way it like nails a style that is really not native to k-pop whatsoever right um at the same time state tonight is a track that doesn't park itself completely in a one single genre it's got a bunch of formation work it's got a bunch of stuff that feels very broadly k-poppy but mm-hmm. like leans incredibly heavily in in reference to voguing and whacking and like mm-hmm. again american ballroom dance music uh, dance dance culture mm-hmm. and a lot of the like visual design of it is just a whole lot more like drenched in that look and feel and vibe. Yeah. And the, the difference between the two is just like completely embedded in that, that naughty. I still like watch ever so often and just like, I'm impressed by 
And State and I, I kind of feel like nails an energy that I would be lacking in many other places. Like, bottom line, it's just gayer. Like, <laughs> And that's why we like it more. One of, one of it's like, okay, you saw what this is about and you did it and you did it impeccably. And the other one's like, okay, but you get it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the Chumho track is the one that gets it. And for that, I, yeah, it gets a lot uh, of credit for me for that, basically. Yeah. And some of this is down to Chung as a performer who is like, not simply just like incredibly powerful and impactful in the way that Irene and Sulgi, I think, are, right. but has a lot of that sort of like cheekiness and personality that nail like makes nailing this style really easy for her. Right. Maybe well, which I guess this is a, this is like the closest of we've we've ever gotten to talking about the big question of appropriation yeah. in K-pop. I mean, there are, there are other versions of this that of that course. feel yeah. There are other versions that feel more pernicious. Mm. I think this is one where like you can feel there's a there's a weird kind of inheritance that like, I mean, God, there are so many ways in which American culture, particularly like whether it's, we'll come on to stuff about um, musical theater and stuff like that later, but right, right. that there are sort of spheres of American culture that have like appropriated and digested queerness and particularly gay male dance and artistic culture within it in ways that make it digestible and safe. But this feels like one where like, you can't really make androgyny, particularly like we, you can see in the video how the male dancers are presenting and the, the way they're outfitted. Just right. like there is no way of softening the queerness well, when also the, the movements are what they the, are, when the presentation is what it is. The movements they're making, and I, uh, and I would refer you specifically to the point where Chong Ha like, gets body rolled over them. Yes. Mm. No, we don't mean body roll as in does the like sexy waving of the hips as in she lies on a line of men who roll around on the floor and she rolls to transport along her. Them. Yes. Yeah, to transport her like, uh, I don't know, a, a set of logs con- to a construction yeah, site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but yeah. rather more gracefully and with a lot more panache. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch the damn video. Yeah, watch the damn <laughs> video. It's kind of great. Um, mm. But yeah, the it's I, I, certainly not so I think not a let off to say they get it and therefore it's okay no but like I feel there's a there's a sort of sense of recognition here that is much more authentic I think I think what was important for me isn't necessarily that I think it's it's what what stood out for me here is that like it's not that it necessarily has all the right signifiers etc it's that it's positioned itself in such a way that you can't have a fully normative reading of it does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. Like yeah. that's how I feel about, and I've been reading a lot of unfortunate, like t- capital C discourse of varying levels about queerness and queer representation because of other media I consume. But I think that sometimes that gets overlooked in the search for mm-hmm. representation. It's not that necessarily representation or nods, nods have to be loud and explicit about what they're drawing about all the time because. Sometimes it doesn't work narratively, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But I think... Like, queers other, are allowed subtlety too. 
Right. Well, but, but I think the other space is like, like, but on the flip side, you can also ask the questions like, okay, but can you even have a normative reading of this? Like, the, it's, it's it's not just like, oh, are am I being queer baited because these are two insert non heterosexual configuration people who may or may not show any amount of romantic interest in each other. The question isn't that. The question is like, but can I make it straighter? And sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes they're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah. I there don't know if any of that made coherent no sense. Other way to, yeah. There is simply but, no other way to read this and it's good for it. Look, you can look at Naughty and be like, ah, gals being pals. You look at Stay Tonight, you cannot say that. No. <laughs> There's not a exactly. possible interpretation. Yeah. And, and again, like, that's reliant not just on the men who are presented in this incredibly androgynous and queer, like, queer-coded way, inverted yeah. commas. Yeah. Um, but in the, in the way that the entire performance is geared around the sort of, like, the, like, her is the, like, I mean, again, there is a long history of, like, the, the female nominally straight diva icon as the, like, mm. the vector for, like, gay masculine performance and culture. Mm-hmm going back all the way through disco and house music is like those female figures have just been really important and Chunga like I think is quite authentic to that version of the experience as well where like she allows and she understands the nature of what she's trying to do and like the requisite cheekiness and playfulness and androgyny and relationship to feminine masculinity she needs to have Mm. and presents in in the performance as well Well, as just being like and also the fact that she's just not in the bridge yeah yeah. Um, there's they're, they're like the the book on this is also that like she's adamant that like her her backup dancers aren't construed as backup dancers. They're construed as like co-performers, and yeah. that they get their moments on screen to like be the notable element on stage and have the attention directed to them, which it mm-hmm. absolutely is. And yeah. we're all better for it. <sighs> good track. Really good track. So no, there, number two in our slot is Chunga's Stay Tonight. Whiplashing all the way from solo artist to the biggest ensemble. <laughs> so we're both NCT fans, right? Yeah. We're both NCT fans, which means we are in this horrible, conflicted, confusing position where we have to grapple with what the fuck NCT actually is. <laughs> and every time I think I have an idea, the rug gets pulled out from under me. And I think that is a, a quintessential NC, uh, N-Citizen experience. Yeah, absolutely. Which, for the record, my for the record, my theory, very briefly, is that I think uh, SM had a bumper year for male trainees and decided to put them all together to make maximum money uh, as yeah. soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is, I think, the genesis of the NCT program. Oh, oh, the teaser for season two, we will have a lot of time to sit and think about what NCT is, how it functions, how it fails, how it doesn't. But we have a little window into it through their, their 2020 progress, which was, I think, an NCT Dream album um, headlined by Raiden. Um, yeah. A bunch of Wave V releases, which were really mm-hmm. good, I think. Yeah. Um, the B-sides were much... Uh, well, like, I think the blanket statement for my NCT, uh, how I feel about it, is that the B-sides were by and large better. Or more even. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. the standard is continually increasing on the B-sides for all of the groups, which is really, really good to hear. Because yeah. I also yeah. think the thing that was most interesting about NCT is, like, the, like, baseline musical space they were working in was, like, slightly more experimental extensions of particularly where Shiny and EXO had been. Mm. Like, 
they, it's like still in this like very much like hip hop inflected R&B slash pop space, but it's pushing more towards the like interesting genre borrowings and like mm. atonal, term, atonal textures and like complex, like uh, particularly hyper pop derived um, uh, yeah. like timbres and like musical cues. I think it's just great. I think it's really interesting. I think it's really productive and fruitful. And I'm NCT, just glad we get lots of yeah. it. <laughs> NCT 127's Neo Zone, not the yeah, repackage, so we'll is, get there, yeah. was one of my favorite releases uh, of the year. There's some very good yeah, songs. Yeah, absolutely. There. So yeah. yeah, this is the thing. We had an, a Dream release. We had a bunch of Wavy releases. We had an NCT 127 album and a repackage. And then at the end of the year, we got uh, Resonance, which the, was the, 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 o- the mega the project. Full yeah, the mega project, which not only was all of them combined, but added two new members just yeah, for the help. So OT twenty three, if you're counting. Yeah, it's it's a it's a ride. So the the two tracks we want to talk about here are uh, NCT U's "Make a Wish," which was the lead single from the Resonance project, mm-hmm. and NCT One Two Seven's "Punch," which was the single from the repackage of the Neo Zone album. Yeah. So. Let's start with Make a Wish. I can do this all day. Back it up, back it up. So the lucky up the Which surprised me by being a full 40 seconds longer than I thought they would dare. Yeah, it's like... This track nails its structure. I'd want to get that like on the table. It it knows how to put together a pop song that strings together multiple different sections, multiple different ideas in ways that like genuinely NCT have struggled with in other places. And I think Punch is a really good example of what happens when they struggle with it. Yeah. But Make a Wish is as a just in terms of what it is, it's a sort of like West Coast hip hop track with this like really grimy bassline and mm. an impossible to get out your head's whistling hook. Um, it's doing all the SM boy group stuff. Like we when we've talked about Monster, we talked about this like adjusted minor modes, um, chromatic bassline. Chromatic bass lines with the uh, modal interchange towards the major in the chorus, um, mm. and like funky textures that like determine exactly what sort of like emotional and like contextual and genre space it's in. And this is like exactly that. It's like done exactly all those hallmarks except pushing very hard towards hip hop instead mm. of towards like pop and EDM. It's, it's also a measured. debut track. Yeah, so this is a track which that is, mad. is... Yeah, it's a seven-member unit um, which has never performed together before. Just yeah. completely flat-out new. Mm-hmm. Um, they picked a really excellent lineup. They picked some of my favourite members and they picked them for roles that they are perfect for, which is, mm-hmm. I think, the real achievement of Resonance, which is, like, I think maybe they start to understand what their members are good at and put them in the, the position to shine when they're in them. Yeah. Which is just something that, like... like did not trust NCT to be able to do at any point up to this yep. point. 
Oh. And like th- this was the great hope. This was the great hope that when you have this massive group with the promise of recombined units, with the promise of like switching it up every release or whatever it might be, you might mm. get units that fit particular tracks and particular vibes super, super well. And mm. having like this combination of performers is just like special. Like I don't want, I don't want to sugarcoat this. Oh, sorry, sugarcoat this. I don't want to soften this. I think this is one of my tra- like absolute absolute tracks of the year because they managed to nail the personality and style and like skills of everyone in that group for the roles that they wanted them on the most minute of levels on this track. Like everyone has their spot and they shine in it. Well, and more to the point, like this is the track that fulfills the promise of NCT, right? Like in so doing, it does know, exactly that. Yeah, uh, not to mince words about it. But yeah, and again, the fact that this is happening also with a, as one of the uh, unit's first debut song is also incredible. Yeah, like... But Shotaro does so well, it's like he's, he's, he's always been there. Yeah, like, it's absolutely plausible that he um, straight up... We straight up never see this lineup again. Yeah. It's entirely possible it just doesn't happen. Um, but, like, what we have here is, like, three members of like the 127 mainline group we have mm-hmm. a dream member we have mm-hmm. two um wavy uh wavy members one of whom lucas is like been pushed as one of the future stars maybe well, and Shitaro, and two, who's, two of them i guess and super m although that's yeah. not quite nct but it's close enough it's close enough in that it's like it's pushing a different aspect of them. Like you, the re- it's very specifically the relationship we have with Xiaojin, who is the other wavy member, is yeah. entirely different to the one we have with Lucas because Lucas was showcased in Station in Ten Station release before he ended up in the any in action in that the before yeah, he ended up know. debuting in any actual groups. Well, he was in the 2018 version of this. Yeah, he was in the 2018 version in Boss where he yeah. got a moment to shine and be introduced as part of the uh, NCT project. Mm-hmm. And then also was in Wavy is like, okay, we need to introduce, well, like introduce our like historic group fans to a new wave of which Lucas mm-hmm. is meant to be one of the faces. Mm-hmm. Shajun though is one of the vocalists for Wavy who like has been really impressive in Wavy to me. I really loved him. I thought it was about time that he got a, time to, a moment to show out. Yeah. But like we just have a completely different relationship to him. Yeah. Same with Jamin actually, who is like what been I kept saying one of my favorite bits of dream is seeing Jamin like show out as an incredibly like personalityful and like smart rapper and dancer. Like he's just yep. got like a sort of smirk and a groove to him every time he moves. Um mm-hmm. and it he everything feels feels very like he feels very on top of his body and in like on top of the movements that he's trying to pull off. Like he's got the sort of effortlessness that's very impressive to see, where right. other people look like they strain sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then Shotaro, who is like an eighteen year old kid who got recruited as far as we know off TikTok, who has yep. been like a dance phenom and has been thrown into the deep end with probably NCT's now biggest track. And he pulls off like the iconic point move, which is the the, the head shuffle. Um, yeah. the head isolation move which just blows me away every time I see it mm-hmm. um, and yeah so it's just a moment where every element of this group with like the the uh, I'm just gonna say the vocal line like shows out because this is one of those impeccable SM pop tracks that is a hip hop track that somehow crafts this these incredibly lyrical pop lines uh, like song pop lines out of nowhere I just don't know how yeah. they do it um, 
Jaehyun's just like impressive to look at and powerful. Taeyong is like a face. It's just mm-hmm. and, and like a commanding presence. Lucas is Once another again, like commanding winner presence. of uh, strongest jawline in Super M Challenge. Taeyong, uh, God, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as in like the, they managed to fi- figure out niches that they needed to hit, and they found the perfect people to put in. Whether that's just like a certain way that they move, a certain way that they dance, a certain way that they like. If, like, have an attitude that fits this song, particularly in the case of Jaehyun and Lucas, I think. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this isn't a song where, like, they are so skilled in a particular dimension that they would be so much better than everyone else. But, like, I could imagine replacing them with people who would just, like, not have the same commanding presence that they do. Yeah, their, and their stage song presence fits the yeah. song perfectly, which is and the, yeah, all that you, all that I hoped for out of uh, NCTU. This, the, exactly. this promise of an endlessly recombinable uh, pool of talent. Yeah, it requires the assumption that they understand what their idols are capable of and put them in those positions. And, they and that's when I force you to talk about Punch. <laughs> Very briefly. Uh, so, Punch is to me one of the most infuriating tracks of the year. God. Punch. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, in the notes, I have it written down as NCT, why do you play with my heart like this? Yeah, it really is one of those. So Punch is uh, a track where... How can I even put this? There are some of the most impeccable and brilliantly put together songwriting moments that I've heard in the entire year in K-pop. And Completely... the most soulful wee ball and courtesy tale. Yeah, the tale and Hechan's ad-libs just going... It's just like fucking. I, I will put the actual s- samples in there, but like, you cannot ad lib the line "we ball" in any more soulfully than they did. But it, it, that's what they did, and you can hear how it sounds in context, and it's what it is. Yeah. But yeah, this is a track that's attempting to be new school, like electronic pop track, as well as an R and B track, as well as a sort of like powerful muscular dance beat track mm-hmm. and it's none of them successfully and this is one of the things that is the great fear with nct is that when you um sort of crystallize this project you stop having the real capacity to uh <laughs> to, to like push the boundaries of what any individual like set of members is actually able to do like you stop understanding like 127 is a particular vibe or at least if you do you understand it as something that's so incoherent and so expansive and so like overwrought that it comes up with messes like this man imagine i i have always said about punch it's so surprising that in a three minute 30 long song it stops at two minutes and 40 seconds yeah it just the last minute of this track is just aimless in a way that i'm so unsuccessful uh, like so confused about from an nct track I I remember the first time I listened to this, I was genuinely upset. 
Um, and like, no, like, re- I don't usually have like an emotional reaction that strong to any piece of music on the first listen, usually. Um, and this one just made me really disappointed because mm, yeah. it had the the promise of it, especially with that like fascinating intro. Yeah, which was like off balance and, you know, going into the pre-chorus and then going into the chorus, you know, promised a lot of strange things. And for me, the the, the, the fun of it is always you ha- uh, around the time you hit the end of the second chorus, uh, I am always thinking, OK, how are you going to bring this home? Like, how are you going to bring this back around? Um, now that you've given me two verses and two choruses to familiarize myself with whatever it is you've decided to throw into the pot this time. And then it hurls all of it out of the window for the most... Milk toast. The, the yeah, the most milk toast, blandest, safest, uh, uh, almost generic dance breakdown that then continues for another minute, almost. Yeah, and, th- and, and this is the infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> it is, and this is the infuriating thing is that like the constituent elements are so interesting on their own. Like that intro is strange and cool. Um, I'm, I haven't always been a fan of entities like big shout, like ensemble shouting sections, mm. but like of all of them, this is not particularly offensive. Um, the, again, like the, the sort of weird, like, s- s- like semi whispered, like the stage whispered Taeyong intro, uh, sorry, mm. first, l- first couple lines of the first verse is something that like if you contextualize that and developed it in a particular direction, I could just mm-hmm. survive a weird first like go round to just yeah. let it take me somewhere really interesting. Yeah. It just doesn't really follow up the idea. The problem is like, it follows that up with um, the uh, Jungwoo and Johnny lines, which are just like, as a sort of arc and phrase, some of the best I heard all year. And then it doesn't even finish its own line. It just sort of dribbles off into this like weird electronic, like, Ah, uh, we found the old school boom bap hip hop piano, and we found like a a cool synth. We're gonna put that there in this empty space, without knowing how to tie it together. Um, it feels like some of the best individual ideas and some of the worst execution in knitting them together, and that is like simultaneously like emblematic of like the worst excessive of NCT One Two Seven as a group, and also the worst excessive of NCT as a project, which is like dribbly. In one so, word. Oh my god. You, you Strong start and then a weak fart of a finish. <laughs> yeah, just like the inability to, to like conceive from the start to end what the point is of each of the major big moves they're making. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they come off and sometimes they fall really fucking flat. And this is the thing, like, we've dwelt on a, a particular track that like is an anno- annoying example of one of the tendencies we wish NCT didn't have. But at the same time, like, this is one of the few, like, real sore spots that NCT has given us. Because, like, the average standard they've been hitting has been so high. Like, some of my favorite random tracks of the year is just, like, album tracks off um, NeoZone. Yeah, B-Sides off NeoZone. Yeah, B-Sides off NeoZone were just some, there were some exceptional pieces there. Mm -hmm. Dream stuff I really loved. Like like I said, Wavy's standard was really high this year. Um, Yeah. And it's just like, when the expectations are so high, you really do need to, um, like, 
the disappointment stinks so much more. But like, even even yeah. so, in the disappointment, there's enough of this to talk about that it captured my brain for yeah, a exactly. full two thirds of 2020. Right? Yeah, like that's the, it, that's the other part of it. Like, no, I don't like the song, but I don't like it in a way that made me remember it. Yeah, in a way that made me recognize what is so special and compelling about the potential of NCT as a project, and then yeah. 127 is a group that I love and listen to a lot. And that's why it's here. Let's keep this moving along. Yeah, so slot three, <laughs> NCTU's Make-A-Wish. Um, absolute bop. We can move on. Yeah. So, Next one. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, having had a little bit more time to think about it, I think this is the, like, K-pop boy group masculinity off. Yeah. That- <laughs> uh, the boys are uh, having crises. Yeah. Let's uh, uh, start with Backdoor, which is just fun. This is the track I put on repeat when I want to hype myself up. Stray Kids Backdoor is musical theatre run through um, EDM and funk. And like that just seems like a crazy combination of words to say, but like that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's like funk bass, like this sort of like faux funk bass line. Again, like toughened up and tightened up as is ready for pop. Um, it puts me in mind, there's a, a wonderful old Charlie Puth single, and like, here's me shout Charlie Puth for some odd reason, called Attention, <laughs> which is, again, it's like the most white boy funk, but it's an incredibly good pop track for it. Um, and I love it to bits for it. Um, everyone mm-hmm. check out Charlie Puth's Attention. Yeah. Um, but like, this is absolutely one of those tracks that put me in mind of it, which is like, how do you take that sort of like, uh, like give the sort of like, musical character of of funk but like push it in a direction that is amenable to like super hard-hitting pop and dance music yeah and then what it does is put it in like throw that intro um straight into this sort of like incredibly subtle incredibly groovy like finger snapping finger popping jazzy musical theater verse and we and I do definitely mean musical theater, and it comes out I think a lot more if you watch in the, the performance. uh, performances yeah. because like there are a lot of moves in there that are just straight cheese, but they commit to it so hard that okay I in my opinion it they pull it off. But it, this is one of the coolest performances of the year. Um, yeah. Also, the the music video is also a lot of fun because the editors had a lot of fun. Yeah, um, this is yeah. one where like. Heads up for motion sickness. This really is one of the mo- more like chaotic visual experiences. Yeah. But also check performance versions because you just want to see this dance in action. Yeah. Um, well, which, okay. So it has it has the finger wag. It has the heel kick. It has members making archways, and the rest of the group walking through them like a like a literal small kids playground like a playground's conga line thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, but, that, one of my favorite right. moments is right right at the end, which is like having heard the riff being sent the, the sort of intro riff being sent around the, the like funk baseline interrupted by big instrumental stabs yeah. Um, yeah. 
having, I think it's Hyunjin. I don't know Stray Kids' members particularly well. But uh, like, this all en- I know is Hyunjin's the main dancer and Felix is the one with the deep ass voice. There we go. All right. Um, if it is the main dancer, then Hyunjin's probably a decent shout by, by probabilities. But please don't <laughs> crucify me if I have got that wrong. Um, yeah. But yeah, here's this incredible moment where he falls out the formation with this incredibly like theatrical dancing oh, in the rain. Oh, that's Felix. Like- that's Felix. I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. That's Felix. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. We, we're rescued by the other member of Stray Kids. That I can recognize. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, it falls out of this formation, this sort of like grand flail that is timed mm-hmm. perfectly to snap back in on the stabs. And Which then goes like, into an outro of just like a face-off. It's incredible. Yeah, I love a face-off. There's these like little tie adjustment motions. It's incredibly like twitchy on your heels. Like you mentioned West Side Story when we were talking about this track. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Got all of this, like, I, I would push it to call it campness. This, like, mm-hmm. incredibly, like, bouncy on your feet, like, lightness and, like, sharpness to it. That, like, mm-hmm. that's some of the energy you just need to execute a really bouncy athletic choreo. But it's done in this, like, way that is, like, like when all the big athletic moves are notable for their bounciness and lightness and perkiness rather than for that athleticism, you know that that's a tonal choice rather than just, like, some energy that is leaking out from the very athletic performers. That also reminds me, there was one point where the dancer straight up does the Charleston. Ooh. It's great. It's a lot of there fun. There we go. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, just Sorry. in terms of genre, like it is as chaotic as it sounds when it's flicking back and forth between this like groovy, like finger snapping funk and like straight up EDM, um, like big room, uh, big room dance music sound in the chorus, which is just like, I'm here for the chaos, and the chaos is so compelling, and I love it. Um, And the thing we're putting it up against... Ah. um, (laughs) Every year, there needs to be... I've talked about this in other contexts, and it's a moment to plug my other podcast called Hot Singles, which is Mm. an album album review podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Great name, great name. Where, ever so often, you find a pop track that you realise is secretly emo. Um, And this year, in K-pop... The secret emo track is TXT's Can't You See Me. This is a track that clearly, like, their producers have listened to Billie Eilish a lot because at the at the start of the second verse, they have the classic, like, 808 alone, um, the the voice running through a fan as to get that sort of helicopter effect. It's a lot of that sort of like dark, neurotic, like like quite simple and direct electronic production in order to get that weird, tense, angular atmosphere that like Billie Eilish has fucking nailed and like put on the pop uh, radar in a massive way. Yeah. Um, but at the same time as all of this is going on and it pushes towards like hip hop drums, the chorus is straight Lifted up guitar. Lifted out of Lincoln Park. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's straight up Linkin Park, like, grindy, 
uh, guitar stabby nonsense, which I just love. I love the audacity oh, to know when it's right to put guitars in your track because the emotional space, but also like the 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 like the the raw like K-pop is a genre. Like in production times, usually avoids putting too much mid range in, both because it usually overwhelms vocals. But also because the production styles of broadly writ large move towards a, a like a space where there isn't much mid range. Like warmth is out. Like brittleness and harshness and coldness and snap are in, which usually means a lot of sub bass and a lot of like up mid, up at mid range for like brilliance and shine, and a lot of like cutting high end. And that usually means for balance sake that you usually have a lot less mid range. And it's just great when you have like a really filled out, even if it's in this case, really tight and compressed and dance music ready, just like raw, roaring guitars. Um, and it fits the emotional space of this track so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just love the production design. The, the storytelling in this music video yeah. is just great. Um, it's this weird teenage anxiety fever dream where, I mean, the chorus is, my friends don't understand me, don't, don't understand me anymore. Um, can't you see me? And I, and like, I would broadly the characterize the music video as food fight gone horribly wrong. Yeah, no, it's exactly that. It's um, all of, it's capital W weird consequences to the anxieties lurking in your teenage like hangouts with your friends. Like right, like something you thought was a lighthearted fight becomes the house is on fire. Um, exactly, and that's you know direct in its way, but effect no less effective for that. Yeah, and this is part of TXT's like growth progress from. Like through the the debut with Crown, which is really childish and playful and fun, through um, was it is it called Nine and Three Quarters? Well, Run Away with Me. Um, I can't mm. remember what the Korean title was, um, which had this like Harry Potter storybook element to it, which was like cute and fun, but like gestured towards the the sort of being the sort of expansive, uh, well, no, I'm not going to say otherworldly, um, expansive like use of unreality to do storytelling about teenage anxiety right. and this is it in full force this is it like okay we're doing the horror trick of manifesting all your worst anxieties through your friends and family um right. and it pulls it off so well um special I, mention is, to the triple melody stacking at the end of the song yeah and that that's just gorgeous um yeah. the whistle line um again on top of the guitar production with friends on Sam anymore can't you see me and the whistle line all stacked on top of each other just making yeah. one of the like classic again post BTS like one of the things that we talked about in the blood sweat and tears thing is BTS having the mastery of like interlocking harmony lines sorry mm-hmm. interlocking melody lines mm-hmm. and TXT just nailed this one perfectly um, the, uh, the, the 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 I also have to give we call this the like m- like young masculine anxiety one different flavors of it but I also have to give a shout out to uh, the leather shorts. Oh, and yeah. general get general costume vibe in this track. It's just gorgeous. Again, yeah. how do you do emo for a new K-pop audience? It, this is what it looks like. It's great. Yeah. So like 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 <laughs> backdoor is um, hard hitting camp, um, and can't you see me as like crouching teeny bopper hidden emo? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciated that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just implicitly going to say these are tied for this slot. I love them both and I can't really do much to separate them. They're both yeah. excellent. Yeah. Um, there we go. We're going to move on to a big ass change of direction. Um, yeah. Two solo performers sort of on the outskirts of what we'd call mainstream K-pop. 
certainly within the like popular music Korean industry, but not in the like belly of the beast in the same way that a lot of the other acts we've talked about are. Let's start with Lehigh because yeah. you've said belly of the beast. Yeah, so Lehigh has had a, a really complex and unfortunate career, maybe, mm. I said. She debuted really young. She's, she's a 96 kid, um, debuted in 2012, and was one of those like incredibly precocious youngsters. I often view a career in parallel to IU's in this sort of like super young, super iconic female solo artist who has struggled, well, struggled or like had a complex relationship to her own fame and the like strictures of the uh strictures of the um industry that have been placed upon her she basically disappeared after so so i think she had um she had a, an incredible breakout moment in 2016 with a, a small album called Soulite, which had a leasing called breathe Mm-hmm. Breathe was a track written by Jonghyun of Shining, um, mm-hmm. and it became, again, one of the unofficial anthems after he took his own life. And effectively, the story of her career was sort of at risk of... Um, kind of being overshadowed, yeah, almost? Overshadowed, like swallowed up by other people's like expectations or like meanings that had been like extracted from out of her. Um, yeah. Breathe became a track that was not her own um, And Like for various reasons that I Don't really feel like the need to like try and expla- Explain in Really like mm-hmm. great detail like She just sort of disappeared for a good three years In the in the mess of YG entertainment because YG was just Simply a, a chaos a, a, Like a pile of chaos For <laughs> the three years post the Burning Sun incident um, mm-hmm. And so what she did was like after like after a long extended contract uh, like negotiation and dispute um ended up on Jay Park's label AOMG um and has come out with a single called uh Hollow and like what a way to bust it out after an extended absence yeah and again this is where the comparisons to IU are sort of trite but really clear in that she, uh... I mean, first things first, she's like a powerhouse vocalist. Yeah, incredible vocalist. This is one of my favorite, like, is it, she's always been one of my favorite vocal performers, but, like, this is at the very, very highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just in the same way that, like, uh, IU had tracks about, like, named, up, named for her age or referencing her age, referencing her own fame, tracks like uh, BB, which were about the relationship to her fans and media. This is very much a track about her, um, uh, like, again, it is couched in terms of a romance. It is also extremely a, uh, a track about her own career and the fight mm. that it's taken to push through <laughs> to the phase where she is the person she, is, she now. is now. Um, yeah. The music video is very explicit about it. Like, 
yeah. referencing her relationship to her older self, like depicted as a mm-hmm. child, and like yeah. the work that the like emotional pain it takes to get through it. Yeah. But I think what caught me about it is what you said about like your aversion to this kind of like soulful singing mm-hmm. in a pop context, right? Because we talked about when we were preparing about this of like, okay, why, you know, you, you can listen to someone like Adele and, you know, for all that, that performance is praised, there, there's a bit of hollowness that rings through, right? Yeah. Um, uh, for me, for me personally, it's like, you're taking a language of like very much like black spiritual music often, mm-hmm. and also just like gray old soul and R&B stuff. There's like stuff. a certain level of sincerity that it really yeah. needs to uh, work. And in a way, like, I don't deny that she is absolutely sincere about her own feelings about it, but it feels right. it feels robbed of a context and an emotional weight to it simply because I hear resonances that I don't think are, like, like in, that I don't think inhabit the track itself. Um, whereas this is a track that, like, fully has, like, stabbing this is a, like this is a waltz with like stabbing piano chords and full like belted choral vocal harmonies and it still doesn't feel like a like a trite rehearsal of other people's music or other people's attempts to express pain or sorrow it feels incredibly uh, like sincere and incredibly sure of itself in mm. a way that like a lot of other modern attempts at this like ballad style r&b just don't and again mm-hmm. we, we've always said like it takes a lot for us to to click with a ballad yeah and the way it usually happens is like in like either emotional sincerity or like incredible musical chops and i think this kind of has both this just yeah this has both it's yeah it's good enough that when i listen to it, it's like you know i obviously enjoy using this hypercritical part of my brain like it's part of how i engage with media is to do this the only difference now is that i'm recording it and sending it out over the internet but listening to the song it makes me it's not that it makes me want to not do that it's just that i it i can turn that part of my brain off and it will go and shut up and just be quietly content for a bit and that is a quality for which it should be praised yeah no like there is certainly the like there is the intellectual story to tell it. Like the the, the chorus is literally, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop crying, stop feeling, stop stop thinking about you, my babe. Um, right. It's kind of heartbreaking because I feel this is addressed to it, like herself as much as it is couched in the couched in any other terms uh, to address to another individual. At mm. the same time, like the swell of it is just so perfectly measured by itself. You don't really need to concentrate too much to just like experience this emotional state mm-hmm. really brilliantly and really perfectly realized um Hard we should talk it. about <laughs> yeah we should talk about the track we put it up against which is crushes ohio which has almost that same quality to me but not uh, how do how do you even put it okay well firstly i legitimately think i like ohio more than criminal yeah. they yeah, are same. duking out for my favorite song of the year I've been dancing till the morning on my own. My gentle car, go to my chalbato. Oh, we got the cards in no deck, we love though, yeah. The lads are gone, I'm not there, I'm going out again. 
목소리 떨게 머리 나파도 마음 아플 일은 없어 I'm alright 가끔 네가 생각나도 yeah, I mean, the, quite explicitly, my most listened to K-pop track of the year was a higher by a fair margin. Um, I will give a shout out to number two, which is an NCT 127 uh, album track, Daydream. Because Daydream. That's good. <laughs> See, besides. Um, but yeah, <laughs> a higher was a track that blows my mind. Um, it There is a trend in Western R&B to go towards hip hop instrumentation and textures in order to like add depth and weight and soulfulness to like genre sounds that would otherwise be a bit trite. Um, and there is a whole suite of Korean R&B artists, again, working in the sort of fringe of R&B, hip hop and the mainstream pop industry that have just got gone super hard into like jazz fusion-y and like straight up jazz textures, harmonies, um like references and instrumental uh, like uh, uh like points of contact and performance styles mm-hmm. and cr- like crushes might be just my favorite male solo vocalist straight up <laughs> i think he he's just exceptional at this um and it all revolves around the fact that like when you do this weird jazz fusion stuff a thing that can so easily be lost is a sense of direction and pace and groove. And Ohio was possibly the grooviest and most pacey K-pop track that I've oh. heard all year. Oh boy, yes. Um, it starts off with this incredible drum loop. Um, yeah. Thwacky, punchy, like bright, uh, like soft percussive drums. That's not soft, like, like light and bouncy and... And acoustic propulsive and, and ultimately yeah, propulsive propulsive that's exactly right um, yeah. and slowly like slide in and around it um, this beautifully measured piano line and this incredibly arch incredibly graceful vocal phrase that starts weaving its way around this this um, this rhythm mm-hmm. and like it's got the it's got the sort of pace and intensity that you might expect from a like a dance track but knows how to wield it in such a measured and careful way. Mm-hmm. And that I've just, I've just been completely addicted to it. Um, and slowly over the course of the track, it swells, it adds in different textures. Crush is just as good a, like a sing rapper as he is a straight up singer. And the Since middle verse. coming? <laughs> it's Something just like, like hello. That. Just to remind yeah. you, you could if you wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, like adds in harmony, adds in like, the funk the again more bits of like funk baseline but again this is to more like widen and beef out the lower end mm-hmm. rather than like punch it it turns into one of the most like expansive and sparkling and active and vibrant tracks that i've heard at all this year um like, i love it to bits right and one of the things uh like i feel like we've described it in a way that makes it sound as if it's purely additive and obviously there is an element of that but what makes this so special is that like every element is in constant conversation with every other yeah they it is, respond to yeah. each other they play with each other and you can hear it and it's yeah. incredible the arrangement is so careful and again there aren't many elements it is mostly about mm-hmm. voice and piano and percussion yep. and very little else comes in until it wants to start swelling and filling out its filling out its texture 
but mm-hmm. really it's it's about the intensity and pace and the ability to like balance this lightness and the, the quickness on its feet with lyricism and long directed phrases which yeah just it's really special songwriting um yeah I it's in, again this is a s- selection of tracks that are impossible to choose between I'd shade it to yeah. Ohio just because it's my one of my tracks of the year but like yeah if someone wants to pick hollow I absolutely wouldn't have it against them yeah it, it's hard to it's hard to decide if there's an objective quote-unquote better wh- which firstly like isn't really the purpose of having having these oppositions but yeah they are two incredible examples of the solo output of 2020 yeah absolutely yeah um let's hard pivot back into the mainstream friends uh so this is here this this section is here because we've spent the last three episodes talking about k-pop trying to break into the u.s and what you know yeah and it's it's certainly been a year for k-pop breaking into the u.s so um it's yeah i have a question for you claudia oh yeah why is a feature on a Lady Gaga track the most interesting and memorable Blackpink track of the year? <laughs> this feels like an exam tr- uh, question. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so we all, as with everybody else, as I think we explained in when we were talking about Whistle, um, we were looking at Blackpink's 2020 album release with, you know, a fair amount of anticipation. You know, Blackpink's album called The Album. And as I said, the as I alluded to earlier, the the lead single for that, "How You Like That," dropped in uh, late June, and I found it really underwhelming. Like it, again, uh, uh, in, in terms of the, how the songs put together, competent. In terms of how it's performed, they're incredible performers. Like I can't say anything bad about it. But the thing is, it's just. I, and there's kind of no way of phrasing it in a way that doesn't sound really mean. But, like, what Blackpink keeps doing is just putting out more Blackpink. And I understand that that's, like, how you're, quote-unquote, supposed to do it and how we imagine that these things go. But what I love about K-pop is that invention and seeing new combinations and new ways to push boundaries and stuff. And they have a comfortable groove, but they've worn the groove so deep, I'm worried they're never going to get out of it. Yeah, this specifically is, like... <laughs> Even if they keep putting out the best version of a Blackpink track, it's never going to wow me in the same way that, like, Hearing Whistle for the first time did. Um, And I'm, like, sad that it's lost that impact for me, but also I don't think this is their best material. Like, I I have so much fonder memories of going in, like, going and spending time with even just the, the small EPs from a couple years ago, and that none of the stuff on this record feels anything greater than fine. By yeah. their own standards, which is really, really upsetting. I mean, as, as upsetting as like a K-pop mega group only coming up with a with an album that you think is a, a passable one and still being uber successful is like. I'm still glad that Blackpink are out there doing a thing that yeah. people really connect with and like makes a name for groups that are not BTS out that out in the Western world. Mm-hmm. But it's a. Uh, I feel the uh, the Blackpink album problem is what I also call the 100 problem to pick on super m for a bit so (laughs) equal opportunity mudslinging it's that when you rev all the way up to 100 and stay there that is like as if you stayed at zero dynamism is only dynamic in contrast to something there is no contrast yeah 
Yeah, um, again, like, this is why Whistle is so stunning. This is kind of why I think tracks like... Um, like the, I understand why Bumbaya is an incredible track, and I still don't love it in the same way I love Whistle, because I don't think it has a mastery of dynamics in the same way Whistle does. I think you can see that kind of dynamic replicate itself throughout the discography, where, like, those tracks that really do understand dynamics and, like, scale really do, like push out and become like like statement pieces in a way that the others just don't and I'm sad that we got a version of Blackpink that seems kind of always on and in so doing like really incapable of expressing like the sort of drama and like spectacle that I think they're really capable of and I wish they were doing uh, but that's what we get in Sour Candy I'm Sour Candy so sweet and I get a little So this is the thing, Sour Candy is a, is a weird little track. It's short, it's really subtle. And this is like, I think the thing that I was missing and desperate for from Blackpink is like, since Whistle and some degree, to some degree a track like Stay maybe, um, we haven't heard them attempt to be contained or attempt to be subtle because they still have like bags of personality. They still are so fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, like this was a track that wanted to, to, instead of like blow up house in order to push it into 2021 or whatever it is, it very resolutely like took the sound palette of like mid late nineties house and refreshed it so that it was impactful, but fundamentally kept that essence that was like understated. And like, again, I've been talking about groove a lot, but like, it feels like one of the important things to get across is like, when you don't nail a rhythm section, stuff just feels flat in a way that you can't really communicate any other way than like, it's lacking groove. But like the whole Lady Gaga album was about attempting to capture the groove of 90s house and early 2000s house that was like lost in the process of its digestion through pop music. And this is a track that just has like groove and interest and subtlety that demands something out of Blackpink that we haven't really heard anywhere else. And it's just fine when it doesn't blow its top off. It's just like, it's like sneaky and slinky in a way that like, nothing else in their discography really is and it makes them just sound so much cooler and and talk about learning how to use your featured artist right like oh my god yeah well i it's also notable again for like the first voices you hear are from blackpink yeah um but then of course lady guy comes back in i think maybe in the samples but they're so distorted it's kind of hard to tell uh and of course in the chorus yeah, um, like but, the, the contrast is between a Blackpink that is like knowing and clever and subtle and tight and Lady Gaga attempting to be the diva style, expansive, authoritative, big vocalist that like expands the space out, out the other side of it. But like mm-hmm. Blackpink doing this like subtle, knowing, cheeky almost vocal is just like, it's a side of them that I wish we got to see. And we yeah. really don't. And black, pink, house, heel turn, when is my... Yeah. is my. It's also it's also short enough that it, it's like, it knows exactly how long to stay. Yeah. It's not going to 
Right. Which goes hand in hand with the whole restraint thing, which I feel keeps coming up in our... It's like the secret theme of all the things we like this year. It's like the ones yeah. that know what they're about and stick stick to those boundaries. Not that yeah. they're afraid of pushing those, but like understand when it's time to rein themselves in. Yeah, I think like that self-awareness or understanding is like a thing that unites a lot of the stuff we really like. Because what usually happens is the stuff that really nails the intersection of... Well, the stuff that's incredibly impressive is when something is so self-assured and confident, but is also unlike everything else you've heard which I think mm-hmm. tracks like Backdoor and Make-A-Wish kind of are. Like, that's what's so special about K-pop is like the unique combination of like impeccable craft and self-awareness and knowledge with like batshit crazy recombination. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes one or the other is great to hear and one or the other is like fine on its own. But like mm-hmm. when you get both, it's special in a way that like doesn't really get shown anywhere else or like... It's hard to show anywhere else. With that in mind, you want to talk about how BTS can just casually declare that they're on top of the billboard now? Yeah. So (laughs) BTS, I was like, we talked about Blood, Sweat and Tears for a long time, two and a half hours of podcasting. It's out there in the world. And more hours of our lives, right? Yeah. Many, many hours of our lives trying to digest what BTS are up to. I basically think that, like, late 2000... Like, there was Idol, which is the Nicki Minaj featuring single. And that between Idol and the last couple months, I didn't think BTS had much to offer me anymore. Because they quite comprehensively decided that, like, the way that they were going to enter the US and, like, try blow up is with, like, a a version of themselves that was much more day-glow and pop-ready and, like less interested in the sorts of stuff that we're picking up in Blood, Sweat and Tears, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, like, fake love was a high watermark for this latest era of BTS that I think very little else had come close to. And then what we sort of realised mm-hmm. is that they were, this was all just training wheels for them. But what they were basically building up to was, like, what happens when they just, like, make a straightforward pop song and sing in English? And they did that, and it's called Dynamite, and it's turned out to be basically the biggest pop single of the year. Yeah, it turns out the answer is when they decide to do that, the world goes feral. Yeah. Um, I mean, as much as you can be when everyone's stuck indoors. But... I, yeah. Again, like, it, it sort of beggars belief quite how successful this track was and quite how much of a phenomenon it was despite, um, despite, despite still being part despite. of the... Yeah. Despite points oh, generally the world. Yeah, it's also, like, so unabashedly, unashamedly the thing that it is, which is to say disco in one-story high letters if you look at the MV. There's, yeah. That, like, it is making every single, it is straining every single sinew to be exactly what it's, like, making itself out to be, which is we want to be an absolutely perfectly digestible, straightforward Instantly recognizable, instantly catchy, uh, like 
impressive showcase pop track. We want people to listen to this and be like, oh my God, I wanna listen to this 30 times and by the end of it think, oh God, BTS, aren't they fucking great? Mm-hmm. They want that to be the track that is stuck in your brain forever. I've I've already said that this is a... God, it's so good. If it, if it were slightly easier to sing or if I were a slightly better singer, uh, it would knock Backstreet Boys' I Want It That Way off my eternal karaoke pick pedestal. Yeah. And again, I'm just waiting for the, the legion of fans who cha- choose it as their, um, as their uh, a karaoke uh, ch- uh, song of choice. Song of choice, yeah. And then get first embarrassed by quite how high the falsetto is and then the key change at the end. Oh yeah, Jesus. It's a hard song to sing. I, I would know. I've tried it in the shower. Also, there's a whole... <laughs> Also, there's a holiday remix of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have to give a shout out to the whole um, the the remix package collection thing, which has some like weird, fun little moments to yeah, it, yeah, which yeah, yeah. you can go explore if you want, if you really want to get into the insides of it. But like fundamentally, like this is a this is a moment where like 2020 BTS was Map of the Soul Seven, like looked for a moment where it wasn't quite as imperious as we thought. That like all their other big singles were like number ones, number ones without question immediately. And that like mm-hmm. Black Swan was interesting, but had this sort of stuttered, staggered release that was like more about showcasing the group than actually like being the commercial bomb. I think On was cool, but not amazing. And it certainly yeah. wasn't nearly as exciting to me as Fake Love was. Yeah. And then like Dynamite comes along and just sort of pushes that yeah. aside and says like, oh no, 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 this was, this, this was incidental. This was, this was a training exercise. We're back. We're back. We're trying some funky new things, and now we're back. Yeah. It's just a great song. Yeah. The um, English part is entirely incidental, a bonus. I, I mean, I, to be honest, I think a very... It's important that even if the lyrics are distinct and important, that it is in English for the purposes of, like, busting through the final boundary of we know we said we'd never sing in English just to try and make it, but fucking they want it and we can do yeah, it so easily. Yeah, but they've made it, Let's so just do it. they're allowed to have one English single release as a treat. As a treat. Um, yeah, it's it's strange seeing the BTS pivot so much from a group so obsessed about their own artistry and self-construction in this whole like universe system from like 2015 through to, I think it ends to, to somebody with fake love. 2018-ish, yeah. Yeah, and then post that, just being like, okay, no, we've done that. We have the fan base. We have the, like, idolatry. We simply just need to go out and make impeccable pop songs now. And sometimes they hit 8 out of 10s, and they're fine. Sometimes they hit 10 out of 10s. Dynamite really is a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Again, when you have the self-knowledge and the self-understanding and the precision of purpose... And also just the technical know-how. And God, we know BTS are a talented group. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just do extraordinary things, even if you aren't trying to be the most inventive thing in the world. Whew. Oh. All right. You want to Push tell me about it? your other 10? Ten, ten? Hmm. Or am I just presuming a lot? Uh, I mean, I don't know. So this is an interesting one. Would I call this a 10 out of 10? <laughs> it's interesting. This, for the record... Is it sees wannabe? Mm. 
Itty is maybe the, the new group that I stand because I think they're special. Um, in the same way that like Red Velvet came and started doing girl group things that no one else was doing a couple of years ago, I think Itty are there now. Um, and I'm waiting for the moment where... Standing menacingly behind twice with a baseball bat. Exactly. I'm waiting for them to, to sort of eclipse some of the current generation's big guns and become like the new power, full stop. Um, the main thing being that they have like bags of personality. Um, they have like so much energy and like, again, something about smaller groups, I think lends to it. They spend more time with the cameras focused on them as individuals and like paying attention to how they move and they can be closer. They can be more intense with the way they frame them as characters. But yeah, like they have it in spades. I still think their first couple of singles are better than this year's. Like I think Icy is the highest watermark. But like mm. not shy and wannabe are still special, and I think wannabe is the best, the best, the best the two this year. Um, it's got just bags of energy. It's like and I'm just putting it back on for my own benefit. They're like again, this is a track that knows when to slip into guitars. It's a track that knows how to use like again when we talk so often about K-pop track structure being such a crucial thing to like. If you are going to throw so many disparate ideas together, you need to package them the way that they feel like they're a progression and a, a narrative going from one to the other. And they do that specifically by selling it with performance. And mm -hmm. some of that is just like, I think they have a couple of some of the best performers in the industry right now, certainly among um, female dancers in particular. Um, they are just a joy to watch and a joy to, to, to like have on your screen. And I'm just excited particularly about the sort of emotional, what well, emotional, the like artistic and genre and like visual and aesthetic space they're in, which is a, a really modernist, really bright, really aggressive, hyperpop influenced like pop music. Um, hyperpop for reference being a lot of the like clangy pots and pansy percussion, the really metallic percussion, a lot of the like dance music inflected bouncy full bass lines a lot of the like jagged synth textures all mm. of that is the sort of stuff that like it's pushed taking a vocabulary from edm but pushing it into a realm where like it's in a dialogue with like underground but very much still pop musicians and it's a which is fun because like a, a lot of times you'll see people talking about hyperpop using k-pop as their reference to talk about exactly it. like back in the day when the the pc music crew which is a sort of like london collective of artists back in like 2010 maybe i don't know exactly when they were kicking off but like it's in that range but they were talking about like people having watched bits of k-pop like if you were in 2013 there was invariably a reference to g in the marketing material for what ag cook was producing and mm -hmm. eventually going to turn it into like a template for many other pop artists. Um, and yeah, like between, uh, between the sort of like feedback loop between K-pop, it's like interlocutors and interpreters in the West and back yep. into K-pop. I think we've just ended up in a really fruitful space for K-pop where like this feels of a piece with that sort of hyper pop, but also like very much its own thing because it's trying to do something different. Like, yeah, hyperpop is not about groups. Hyperpop is a, a genre about producers and, and single artists generally. Um, the the point of the group is it allows you to tap into all the special things that make K-pop groups special, which is the like dynamics of performance and interrelation and the like play off of personality. Um, 
And those are the things that like nail for me what it seemed like has that so many other groups don't is that like niche that they occupy that pretty much no other group could if they wanted to and are the bags of personality to sell you on what they're trying to do. Um, and the reason you know they're successful at this is SM Entertainment have just debuted Esper, who are attempting to do Itzy's thing, but without the like differentiation of personality and look and vibe, and with a sort of oversaturated and like intensity of a color palette that just means that like they are indistinct as performers. Yet. Oh, we're dunking They've... on uh, Esper? Yeah, we are. We are. Did you steal my line about how you know Itzy's big because Super M's trying to knock, make a Itzy knockoff? Yeah, I, I borrowed it and used it. So yes, oh, it's fine. <laughs> in the magic of editing, it is. It's Ma- not as if I haven't stolen your lines in there. <laughs> I don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, it when, when SM's starting to steal your ideas, it's generally because you're onto a good one. <laughs> we'll put it like that. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, the uh, the the main thing about Esper is like. They haven't figured out... SM has their playbook. SM has a playbook of how do you sell idols? How do you sell them as individuals? And we've talked about this, like, multiple registers of, like, close-up performance and world-building, three distinct levels on which you engage with them visually and, like, uh, visually and stylistically that, Mm -hmm. like, are distinct from each other and have different functional roles within selling the group. And Asperger's collapsed them all together and don't seem very coherent specifically because of that. Like, we cannot tell what Esper are like personally because they haven't been able to differentiate them like in those like close-up registers. Which is and so the- weird because we spent an hour singing the praises of their 23 member boy group band, which like, to our shame, we could probably name all 23 of them if we sat down and thought for a bit. I mean, I think it would take me a minute and a half and I would manage it. But yes, like, when they're so good at doing it in some context, they just seem to have forgotten how in others. Yeah. And, like, the Esper I'm interested and intrigued by, but it's one of the interesting undercurrents that, like, SM throwing out their own playbook seems to have caused them problems in how to sell their own group, which is yep. funny to say. But, yeah, Itzy very much stealing everyone's thunder by being that girl group who that no one can really match. The other track I wanted to throw out, which is a not a 2020 track, but it sort of like dribbled across the boundaries of the year because of um, the way that um, wrote, uh, Queendom as a show worked. Queendom was a competition show between six female artists or girl groups. Um, mm-hmm. Like Park Bomb of 21 was in it, uh, Mamamoo was in it, and then the group I want to talk about is G Idol. <laughs> G Idol have had a fun couple of years that basically rocketed up. Um, on the back of being that group that writes a lot of their own material, particularly because they have one of the most talented, ta- most talented rappers in all of K-pop, Soyeon, who's also mm-hmm. like an incredible songwriter herself. Um, she is absolutely commanding in the the solo verse that she gets in Lion, and sells this track impossibly well. And like again, this is the sort of thing where like 
we talk about groups like finding their niches like maybe Red Velvet could do this kind of vibe I still don't think they could have a rapper that could do anything that Soyeon could do um they uh certainly would find it hard to be quite so like mean and dismissive and hard-edged I think um the the track is just gorgeous and very very direct and very like uh powerful and strident in a way that I just love um yeah like I'm not gonna push it over wannabe because I think wannabe is like doing something similar like finding and carving out a niche for a group that um wouldn't exist otherwise but is this year and is a group that is like on its continual blow up path. But I absolutely want to give a shout out to G Idol because between mm-hmm. what they're doing and what they're doing as a group, what Soyeon is doing as a songwriter and what they're doing as part of KDA, which is the League of Legends K-pop group. Yep. Um, I will, I will say with many caveats that that group is a fucking mess in many ways. Um, if you want to dig into the politics of the fifth member that they introduced and debuted, it's, there's a whole load of shit going on there, but I will leave that to you. To research yourself, um, have fun with it. Um, <laughs> but like at its core, there is so much personality and so much bizarre, cool, unique stuff going on with G-Idol that they're worth keeping, a tr- keeping track of over the next year. Um, I absolutely have been this year really loving what they do. All right. Mm. So this, this, is a, this is an en masse one. Um, we basically sat down and we went, we can't, not yeah. talk about the disco wave. Yeah, so every every female act seemed to just come out with a disco track this year. Like, everyone noticed this. Everyone. It was the just, summer of disco. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and given Claudia said a little earlier that she was a little underwhelmed by a lot of the stuff that came out this summer. It was we the literally... Mar- <laughs> yeah. We have to mark it. It was the like, underwhelming summer of disco. It, mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, trying to do a summer disco thing when no one can dance is a bit of a I'm not going to say contradiction in terms but like there are some tensions that it didn't quite adequately resolve <laughs> that's a very polite way to phrase it so I've got a bunch of tracks here that we can talk through let's go in reverse yeah so which ones can we just like dis- well, not dismiss can we like run through and push through out of hand let's do the G-Friend one yeah G-Friend's yeah. Mogo Um, G-Friend are a cool group. I really like G-Friend, but they have been historically pigeonholed as this like beautiful, ethereal, virginal, young female group that gets white, pretty, frilly dresses or like schoolgirl outfits and concepts that like lean into their youth and prettiness, as well as music that leans into the sort of like art and quite classical and quite formal aspects of their performance. And it's just, like, not a vibe that translates very well to disco when you try and unleash them as performers. Um, mm-hmm. I still have a massive soft spot for the, tra- their, the track called Fingertip, because it absolutely is that. They just let them fucking go, go ham, and they're great at it. And Mogo seems... Yeah, sorry. Mogo feels in this sort of weird halfway house where they're, like, restrained a bit more than they are on Fingertip, but they're trying to push out from the, like, comfort zone that they're, they're like, stuck in. And it never... It, like, it... Very, very pretty and very, very good, but never really compelling in a way that I, I like that I like clicked with. 
Yeah. Go listen um, to Fingertip. Yeah, Fingertip. <laughs> just go back to that. They've that and Navarella. Like, there, there's some incredible tracks in there in their back catalogue when they like know what they're about and do it really like with full force. Um, yeah. I think alongside that is twice as I can't stop me. Yeah. Which is a which is a track that I'm deeply disappointed by because I think it's a better written track than our other single, which is more and more. But I also think it's one that pulled its punches so comprehensively that it just feels a bit eh. Twice is some incredible performers, some incredible vocalists, and the like, like dancers and like visual like presences on stage, and it's just really annoying that like they nailed all the like referential aspects, but couldn't mm-hmm. get the impact right, which was yep. confusing because Twice are usually very good at that. <laughs> They're usually <laughs> extremely good at that, in fact. Um, so it was it was slightly annoying that we ended up in a situation where. Uh, it was it, we were stuck with a track that never really crescendoed or like built to the point where I felt it deserved and could be. And I, I, I'm waiting for the like disco edit of "I Can't Stop Me" to emerge on someone's Bandcamp page in a year's time. That, like, <laughs> secretly turns it into this like seven minute retro disco epic, but this isn't that yet. Yeah, we gotta wait for that version to come out. And sort of like going from not enough impact to, oh, oh, this is a little bit too much. Yes. Uh, This is where I would put Everglow's la di da. Yeah, so Everglow, like a group from debuted last year with some really, really hard hitting, hard edge stuff. Um, uh, they're uh, like basically bringing, trying to bring hard style back into K-pop. Like <laughs> I'm all here for that. Um, super, super here for like a group just going full, full ham. Ladidar is a, a very, very retro style. Well, I say retro style. It's in the full throwback mode. It's in the like. Hotline Miami synth wave. We've listened to a bunch of 80s tracks and turned it up to 11. Um, But in the process of doing that, what they effectively did was like, it's about this baseline. The baseline in this track is like overwhelming to the point where it kills the dynamics in the rest of the track. And I Mm -hmm. feel like this might be a legacy of like Everglow's producers and managers deciding like what their USP is, is going, going to 11 where everyone, where everyone else isn't willing to. And the problem with that is like sometimes you don't need you can't be at eleven constantly because it kills the again the dynamism that right. makes if you're always at eleven you are effectively at one. Yeah, <laughs> that is... and, and like this isn't even a, a problem with the songwriting because the songwriting has this like spaciousness like the chorus is beautifully written. I wish I loved this track. It has all the yeah. elements to make me love this track. 
The problem is the baseline. The problem is straight production stuff that like this track is just like feels full of this wash at like the 150 hertz that is just like yawning constantly. And it the doesn't way, let up. Right. The way I described it was so as of time of recording, the hotly anticipated game Cyberpunk 2077 has come out. I think neither of us are going to be playing it for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, yes. But what it has effectively led is to a, a sort of resurgence in uh, interest in at least cyberpunk aesthetics, if nothing else. And that's kind of how I feel about la I swear these two things will connect. It sounds cyberpunk in the way of cyberpunk 2077, which is where they looked back, saw this thing they liked, went, we love it, we're going to wrench it back to you know our contemporary moment and crank it all the way up. And in cranking it all the way up, they've kind of blown right past these little spots for interest and subtlety and these like little spaces where it was really well suited to exploring a certain kind of question and a certain kind of feeling. And I've blown yeah. past that out to the point of absolute lack of subtlety to the point where I think I the harshest thing I said about this is like it starts sounding like a like a like a well not even a parody a pastiche of itself yeah. um and there are moments where to, it, to get full bulgiard on you yeah no no god <laughs> entirely <laughs> we have to chuck some simula uh simulacrum simulacrum you say you on. say dialectic i say simulacra it's all friendly here wonderful um but yeah there, there, there are moments where it punches through that there are moments where like there's a breakdown after the first chorus where it goes into halftime to trap stuff where it's like oh, you found a thing here. You can have the, like, ladder sense. You can have the, the like, classic, um, the, the classic Juno-y riffs, uh, the, the arpeggiated riffs that sound great and sound iconically 80s. But you can put that with trap production and it fits because you've found, the, like, the groove and the pocket for the, for the rappers that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's just that, like, the majority of the track is not that. The majority of the track is so overwhelming and so, like, like blown like blown in this like like a bomb is blown um Mm -hmm. like it's it doesn't manage to like hold itself together in a way that actually makes a lot of sense yeah um i'm gonna quickly as a a small one point to mamamoo's dinga which was the only single they released this year and definitely didn't (laughs) um proceed absolutely uh, did not release anything else that I wiped from my memory on account of turbo orientalism. Yeah, that absolutely did not happen. We're going to move straight on to two tracks that aren't quite in the full-on disco niche, but that absolutely did, like, capture the same energy in a way that, like, uh, like surpassed, I think, the, the, the four tracks we just discussed. Mm. So first off, Sunmi's Purpipan, which is Purple Evening, I think, in, like, transliteration or translation. Yeah. It is very much still in the Sunmi like catalogue where it's full of a lot of the instrumental ticks that make Sunmi's solo discography so distinctive, which is orchestral hits, um, with, like with fake and electronic wind instrumentation, um, 
uh, and then this like understated, subtle disco vibe that underlies and mm-hmm. ties it together. Um, it's a vibe that we love and we like sneak preview. Noir is one of the tracks that we're going to be talking about in season two. We're very excited to yeah, talk yeah. about it for a whole host of and, reasons. And hey, if you were wondering, didn't Sumi release another disco track this year? We're here to tell you, no, she didn't. <laughs> there yeah. was no collaboration. <laughs> there was no collaboration with JYP. She told you that. Um, but yeah, this is this is one of those tracks that just like is one of the great, wonderful additions to Sunmi's like color palette of um, moods that she can go towards. Whether it's like we've come out of the of the like the heroine, the powerful, scorned female figure through the like self-reflective idol. We're now at the like melancholy, expansive, ethereal version. Like it's just great. We love Sunmi. She's got. She's always got interesting stuff to do with the vibe that she's incredibly good at carving out. Um, mm-hmm. And we will talk about Sunmi and what she does with disco very, very soon. Oh, I'm excited for that. Very, but very excited for that. Moving on, I think the last, the last, the last contender we had for the uh, disco slot 2020 might be. Yeah, might be my personal winner, but mostly because I think it's a group that I've just progressively fallen in love with over the last two, three years. Which is A Pink and the single Dum Dum. This is one of those tracks that, again, isn't fully in that disco mode. It's much more lyrical, it's got quite a bit more R&B influence and like straight up pop influence to it. It's noticeably a lot slower than the, the other the tracks you've mentioned. It ratchets yeah. down the energy so that it can be a whole lot more lyrical and like pretty about it. Um, but A-Pink were, in a, in a bit similar to how I described G-Friend, used to be this like beatified, like pastel virginal female girl group. I remember Mr. Chu being like the, the big single that everyone like had in the back of their head when they thought about A-Pink. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly over the course, of like 2018 onwards, they've just grown up. I said grown up as if they're like, they weren't actual adults before, but like right. the sound has matured and complexified in a complexified as like added complexity in a way that like just astounds me. And the series of singles from um, I'm so sick to Yung Yung, um, to Dum Dum is just like a quite magnificent selection of tracks that like explore how to do really astute, up-tempo, danceable pop music, but that like have this incredible air to them. And like, it uses some of that like ethereal, uh, like untouchable quality, but instead of it being about A-Pink being like pretty and virginal and like angelic, it's about them being like um, impassive and graceful and indifferent to the audience in a way that's very hot and very cool. <laughs> I would have, I would use the same word I used for Tim when we were trying to describe that commanding. Yeah, absolutely. It's not um, that it, they're indifferent. It's in, they're indifferent to what the audience, the whims of the audience. It's more of a you come to my level. Yeah. Right very authoritative and it's so yeah. compelling to see a group that is like and mutated confident. over That's time to like develop that authority 
Right. And confidence. That's, a, that's the other yeah. big thing. Um, and like, hey, I hope that GFriend over time develops, maybe not in identical directions, but like we can, we can only hope that they um, have a, the sort of second, second, third chapters of their career that A-Pink have. Because I think yeah. that that's one of those tracks that like blew me away from just like, this fits into a catalogue for a group that I just, I'm falling in love with and have been for a couple of years. Yeah. That'll be um, a thing to watch out for. Wonderful. Um, so yeah. Our actual favourite girl group, group track of the year though. <laughs> What is time? <laughs> a lie, a cube, a flat circle. Um, our favorite, our favorite 2020 girl group track was released on the 24th of December, 2019. Which makes it basically 2020 as far as we're concerned. Yeah, it's fine. Again, as with all of these lists, it's 2020 enough if... Um, it slipped by the big awards. If it got so. released after the, yeah, after the end of year list from last year. So it counts. Yeah. Yeah. And that is Red Velvet's Psycho. We always ask the question, which other groups could do this? And the answer is none. I pretty much com- I'm convinced that like Red Velvet like have found over and over again lanes that only they really can nail because they have yep. a quite incredible combination of, again, commanding powerful performers, but also um, like... Mm-hmm. Like I feel like, that this I feel that this uh, recap is slightly more revealing of what we like. Oh than yeah, we had we, no, it absolutely. But, is. It, but like, hello. The, the, in, uh, we're not making bones about this. Um, yeah, that's true. But the uh, in particular that like no one else has vocalists that can do what Red Velvet do on Psycho. Straight up, no one has the vocalist who can do this. Um, the 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 track threatens to be this like dramatic like quite romantic uh like classically inflected pop thing yeah lots of strings lots of strings yeah um the the strings the plucked strings are just like a a, mm. a kind of like drama and archness that you expect from like a film soundtrack like a period drama soundtrack like yeah. now this is just like the backdrop they need to make a really incisive really like gut churning like messy trap track yeah, you could have put them in the blood, sweat, and tears outfits, and I wouldn't have yeah. batted an eye. Except, oh it's, wait, it's a trap track. Yeah, no, it's exactly that. It's right. oddly enough very similar to Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and it, it, it's like deployment of this sort of like this like gross romanticism, not to like evo- evoke something that is actually like overwhelming and indulgent and romantic, but to like color what's actually a like a version of a pop track. In this case, a, like a an overbrimming love song in the form of a trap track. Um, mm. it's the, the romanticism serves as like it's not merely flavouring it's like a, a very particular kind of texture that it uh, that it's evoking but like yeah. that it requires such commitment to do it because it's clearly like extravagant and like over the top in a way that like most performers can't match up to I would have like, I would have ca- I would have called it melodramatic yeah and I really mean that in the terms of like magnified emotions everything's heightened also the mirror thing the mirror yeah. thing is strong. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's called Psycho for a reason. And like putting aside right. any like 
like obnoxious portrayals of mental health it's like meant to be in this space of like inner psychodrama played out in performance and song and for that it needs these like caricatured like indulgent um Mm. expressive tools and like Mm -hmm. for that like strings but also this like guts churning like stomach flipping synths are just like the perfect meaning for doing it i love those synths yeah so much i do Uh, because they're amazing you really are that paired with the like really high uh melody in the in the vocal line in the in the pre-chorus yeah um again it's so arch it's so graceful and so careful about it. But again, it's performed so delicately because they just have the vocal talent to do stuff that's that like melodramatic, that's that over the top, but still have a sense of restraint and purpose and direction to it, which is just like, I don't understand how you do it. Um, And weirdly felt great for Christmas. Yeah, my God, of course. Um, (laughs) I mean, what is is Christmas if not like a, a, like a complete like- Melodramatic excess. Mudslinging fest of of like conflicting- emotional states yeah it's perfect mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um again we have to say this was sort of marred and overshadowed uh, to some degree overshadowed it still blew up massively well i'll say it was marred by the fact that yeah yeah it doesn't have quite as much accompanying material as you might expect because of wendy's uh injury uh which was sustained over the course of a rehearsal for a stage performance i believe yeah that's a pretty in like pretty serious hip injury i think yeah, like yeah. bad, bad injuries from a fall in an unsafe work environment because, of course, yep. there are unsafe work environments. But uh, fortunately, I believe she's uh, recovering. She she shows up on Tim's album and it's great. The incredible little feature there. She's been yeah. back in public once or twice. And we're just looking forward to, to Red Velvet getting back to full strength because they have they did a thing at the end of last year that pretty much no other girl group could and this little extended Which, hiatus again, good a, enough to hold all the way, th- like, uh, almost a solid 12 months later. Yeah, and we still so think it's wonderful. So you know it's, it's the good shit. <sighs> so we, we just said the what is time. Well, the what is time has come to, like, what was 2020 in, in ultimate terms? Right. Um, you can't have a 2020 recap without having some songs that are the 2020 songs. So we've picked two for you. BTS tried to tell us what 2020 was, and it sounded like life goes on. the single for their for their like final project of the year new surprise release yeah and i so i it sounds like a big warm hug and you know what sometimes that's what you need right now but i think it's also in a way it is the a year from now when we look back on 2020 uh and you have your like photo snapbook album shot of all your like isolation selfies life goes on will be the song you pick for it because it puts Mm -hmm. the prettiest face on what 2020 was like i think um and like there's nothing wrong with that let me just get that out there right like it's it's a song that's meant to be a comfort and that it undoubtedly will provide yeah Uh, absolutely 
Um, yeah, the, I, I find it's like the, the version of BTS that gets this kind of saccharine harkens back to the very old BTS in a way. Mm-hmm. In a way that I find like uh, this is a comfort directed as much in like producing the same like emotional space um, for their fans that they remember and recognize and can feel maybe some sense of like comfortable nostalgia in. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I, I feel it's unearned. Not from their end. They may well have had this year. They may well have like genuinely want to communicate this feeling to their fans. And I fully applaud them for attempting to do that, providing that like space of solace. Our years were not like this. They were catastrophically strange and messy and emotionally torturous mm-hmm. and often just very physically and like emotionally draining. And trying to figure out how to find comfort and like release in that doesn't sound like life goes on. Yeah, I mean, life goes on is 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 so. Oh, it, it's it's a song that is almost entirely about longing for a return to normalcy. Yeah, but like, normal was always already kind of a little weird. Yeah, normal was. All- That's a lot of qualifiers. Yeah, and certainly future normals will never be the same as old normals, and to expect so is, is kind of a, a brazen lie that feels kind of uncomfortable to try and sell to yourself as much to us as much as or if you want to be polite about it it is it is as much of a fantasy as anything more uh obvious about it yeah Uh right right um and so yeah if 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 2020 doesn't if trying to find release and catharsis in 2020 doesn't sound like life goes on for me it sounds like a track that Felt like, like like my pandemic mood song three months before the pandemic started, which is <laughs> Zico's Any Song. least 10th of january 2020 which again if nothing else it ought to deserve points for prophecy yeah my god um i was we were joking when i was watching this music video that i could take almost any still of this and just paste 2020 over zico's face and it would be an appropriate encapsulation of the year yeah it's just nauseating it's the like we're on a wild ride and we don't want it to keep going but it is and we just have to fucking deal with it um and it's got this sort of like slightly unhinged exuberance that just like either is infectious and you're gonna end up like as i have been many times over this pandemic just sort of like bopping quietly to myself in my kitchen at 11 30 when i'm like frantically making like depression garlic bread it nails this mood that I've yeah. had before, which is, 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 is not great, but also extremely 2020. And it's something like this. It's like when you're at a party or uh, on the dance floor or just in any other situation where it's communal or you're at least part of a part of something that feels like it ought to be a community. Mm-hmm. And you can feel that everything 
around you is connected and they're vibing and they're having a great time and you just as distinctly know that you're on the outside of that yeah that this weird kind of estrangement that everyone felt distinctly from each other as soon as the pandemic started kicking off in earnest i kind of want to say there it's a it's like a kind of dissociative song yeah and and this is the thing like this is the video that accompanies a song that is just like this most like beautifully indulge i say indulgent it's in a very different way to psycho in this like mm. raucous chaotic like bossa nova e um, this is the song you would play in the parties yeah. that this music video is about except the video is really all about how you're not in it like you don't feel it yeah i mean just pull up the lyrics and like yeah it, it, it kind of like feels slightly gut-wrenching to like think through the process of this headspace mm-hmm. um but yeah, um, I have my little anecdote for this, which is mm-hmm. while I was like, <laughs> at the start of the year, I was um, still pretty regularly DJing K-pop nights for my old university, um, collectively put on by both the Korean society and the K-pop society. And I would go to the uni town and I'd like hang out with some friends and crash on some sofas and play a night which was like always one of the high, pi- high points of the term because it came back around every three months or so. And it was gorgeous simply because like I could tell that for the, the K-pop fans that this was an experience that none of them had ever had because like how the fuck in the UK would you find a K-pop night? Like they do exist, but they're right. very few and far between. And like, especially when you're not in London in particular, like you're very rarely going to find them. And for the Korean students, many of whom would like be in the UK full time during their studies and some of whom I could chat to and could like talk through like both the process that they would like use music as a connection to like their home culture, but also like hadn't been in the same process and cultural environment since the age of like 16. They're like, um, they were like desperate for some semblance of like a thing that they recognized from like, like Korea full stop. Uh, um, rice withdrawal. I went through that phase. God. But yeah, so like, this was a this was in a night where I would put on old Big Bang tracks. I would put on old EXO tracks. I would put on old TVXQ tracks. I would put on old Girls Generation tracks. I've seen these track lists. They were pretty good. Yeah. So like, there was there was a real balance to strike between everyone wants to hear the new stuff. Everyone wants to hear the latest BTS single, and like, I would always play that. Everyone always also wanted to hear the stuff that like would fit the role of something like the killers for me, or I don't know what it would be for you, but like the stuff that was playing when I was in high school that like has this like weird halcyon nostalgia to it. That's like, oh my God, I remember going for, to, to like house parties age 15 and like getting slightly too drunk on very badly mixed vodka Cokes and like infinite Jason Raz continue. Yeah, fine then. Um, but yeah, so like, this is tracks like like Crooked by G-Dragon, which consistently got an incredibly good response every time I played it. So tracks like, again, uh, like Big Bang keeps coming to mind because it was one of the most consistent hits. Um, yeah. Early, early um, Blackpink did it. Um, there are a bunch of like, oh my God, what else was there? Um, there are a bunch of uh, like, it, the EXO got it to some degree. It was, EXO mm. seemed to be more a fan of the K-pop fans. Rather than with sure. the, the like Korean yeah, students, yeah. strangely enough, um, it was a bunch of actual f- fun stuff that was like seemed to be stuff that really took off in Korea that didn't like have the same kind of like crossover understanding. So it was stuff like Kara, um, mm. like big girl group sister, 
And um, what was something else? I'm trying to pull out of the back of my memory what really blew up. Are you? Are you? Um, just like stuff that like clearly was like intensely resonant with people in ways that they like could recognize. Like I again just explicitly talked about this with some of the organisers, some of the people I like hang out, hang around the smoking areas afterwards. Just like God, I remember being 16 and going out to this stuff, and I'm like. I do not have the same experience, but I can absolutely imagine it because this would be like Mr. Brightside for me. Um, yeah. Uh, and so what happened was at the start of the year in February, I, I think like February or maybe early March, I was scheduled to have another one of these nights. And as always, we did a request form, had a bunch of people ask for all this stuff that like is not familiar to me. There's a track called... Um, yeah, sorry, Way Back Home by Sean. Um, Way Back Home by Sean is one of those, like, intensely comfortable, like, tropical house tracks that, um, like, for some bizarre reason, blew up in Korea pretty much out of nowhere. Like, there was always been the rumblings about did they buy all the music, music video hits, all that stuff. Um, and just became one of those things that was, like, utterly unintelligible to a Western audience. And completely recognisable to all the Korean students instantaneously and they would be like oh my god it's this track I love you so much thank you and would just like have their little intense personal moments with each other mm-hmm. um, the problem was I could do this every single every single time I'd come back and DJ the request form would have something new on it it was way back home once or twice it was Blackpink a couple times like each each iteration has another track that like blows up because it's like intensely recognizable to everyone. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, in March, in the one where clearly the numbers were down because people were starting to get worried about the pandemic and people were starting to wear masks inside the club, it was mm-hmm. any song. <laughs> and we had this incredibly surreal moment where like the club was a third to half full of capacity. They'd sold way more tickets than people had actually pitched up, which is fine to, fine for the front of house booking, but like ultimately it's a bit sad. It makes my mm. life a lot harder because I can't respond to the energy and getting back from the crowd. Um, I ended up playing a lot of hip hop because I could tell that there were a lot of the, like the diehards who were there who wanted to hear some stuff that like I'd been digging through myself, but like I wasn't going to get the big like celebratory stuff particularly frequently. And it was just a moment to just like let people ride out a nice evening together while we still could. But I think I played any song four times through the course of that night because every time people realized and I could feel the sort of like feverish anxiety about it. We just like <laughs> we're in this fucking weird situation and I just want to feel something exuberant. I want to feel something like unhinged and like mm-hmm. both familiar, but also just like a complete release. And for everyone, it was um, any song. I, like, I've been listening to it as you've been telling the story, which is an incredible story, by the way. Um, and it, it has that kind of, it is an easy ride, and then you sit down and you listen to what it's saying, or you watch the video, or you're doing both, as I was. Yeah. And it has this, like, desperation to it. Like, I think in Hinge, you are kind of on the money for it. And I think it... Uh, I think I understand fully why it's like the March Korean student K-pop DJ night song of choice. 
Yeah, it's just the thing that like you you're put just on... tipping over into the precipice, and yeah, you can see exactly. what's coming. You can see it. You can. You're in like fully aware of the like like the tension and the, the like the looming complexity and weirdness that's going to engulf you, yeah. and the, the your way out is this sort of like the, this like conflicted like recognition at the same time as this like distinct deep denial. Or maybe not a denial, <laughs> but like this weird half accommodation of it. And that that's what the track is all about. It's like Right. It's this weird thing where it's like simultaneously a, a an experience of powerful isolation, but one that is simultaneously shared by so many people. Yeah, like this communal estrangement is such a weird sensation to try and encapsulate. But it's also so magical that they managed to put it into a song. Yeah, it's so magical they managed to put it into a song three months in advance. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like perfect for the like the three, the, the, the like 30% full club where everyone's slightly anxious about making each other ill and seeing doom on the news is like they get horrible, horrible stuff like reported from Italy slowly mm-hmm. like turning into a global crisis. And like mm-hmm. this is what trying to like liberate and like <laughs> find some catharsis in the madness is like. Um, it nails it so beautifully and so like particularly that like I, yeah, it's stunning. I, yeah. I'm just, I just ask people to read the lyrics, just spend a bit of time with the track, feel your way through that music video. And then like the, the, yeah, just see if it speaks to you in this little moment. Um, it yeah. certainly is to me. Oh, Ooh. there are more things I could say, but I think we've covered anything we want to cover. We have absolutely. Um, yeah. This has been a, a wild ride and a really fun one. Um, <laughs> but we should go take a breather and take a take our break before we come back next year. Come put on anything on the Bluetooth and just dance in our houses. Indeed. Yeah, like I said, I'm gonna. I'm thinking very hard about exactly this. Like, put on some party tracks and have like a nice, a nice like depression meal in my underwear. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Um, this has been Stan Ontology's second bonus episode for the end of 2020. Um, thank you so much for being along with us for this ride. We hope you got something out of this episode and maybe you've discovered a new favor or discovered a new direction or a new group to, to go down the rabbit hole with. We've really enjoyed all our, all our listening for this year. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, like we said in our BTS episode, we'll be back with some big thematic deep dives and some, Good old critical analysis, as well as some some fun, ludicrous K-pop nonsense, as always, next year. So, farewell 2020, you trash fire of a year. 